0: children's church amen if you have your bibles if you would turn with me to second peter we want to complete a three-part message that we began a couple weeks ago entitled making salvation sure making salvation sure so let's begin in that third chapter looking at the last two verses of this short letter and then we'll jump to our text in the first chapter but that last chapter chapter number three Verses 17 and 18. And notice how Peter writes to the young church two important things that we all need to remember. He writes in verse 17, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forevermore. Guard and grow. Now, if you would, the first chapter, beginning with verse 3. Let's just begin with verse 3, and we'll read our text. And Peter writes, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. Who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, into goodness, knowledge, into knowledge, self control, to self control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling In election, sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our title again, Making Salvation Sure. We pray, Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you this morning, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Give us minds that will understand the truth of Scripture and grant us the ability to apply what we hear to our everyday life in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Again, we've taken our title from verse 10. We've used this title now for the third week in a row. But from verse 10 where Peter writes, Be all the more eager, be diligent to make your calling an election sure. The condition of your soul, your eternal and unchanging destiny, is something you want to be sure about. You don't want to wonder about this. You don't want to hope so about this. It's too an important subject. Don't take any chances. But know that you know that you have received Jesus personally, that you are serving Him and living for Him publicly and sincerely. And the evidence is clearly seen. Now, Peter at this time in his life is a, a real spiritual father. He's a pastor as well as an apostle. And again, like any, any good pastor, he is greatly concerned about the condition of those that are under his care. He wants to make sure that they'll make it. That they have more than just a profession. They have a possession. That it's more than that they've repeated a prayer but they're living the life in such a way where there's no doubt about it, they are saved, they are born again, they are right before God. And Peter is greatly concerned. This is at a time in the church where false teachers and teachings abounded. And they're trying to deceive and trying to sway. So Peter again, he wants to make sure that people don't fall away, but they finish. He wants to make sure that those under his care are not deceived by a false assurance, but they have the real thing. He wants them to be sure of their salvation and demonstrate the proof and the reality of it. Again, we said being sure what we call assurance. It's someone's confidence that they truly possess eternal life. Peter is telling them, he's saying, believers, if you'll pursue and cultivate these spiritual qualities that you'll demonstrate if you'll give evidence of these, it will show that you are a true child of God. Peter begins this letter by giving a description of the healthy Christian life. Now, he's going to get in chapter number two, addressing false teachers and teachings. But he starts out by giving three important affirmations about the healthy Christian life. And we've broken it up like this. Number one, the Christian life begins with faith. The Christian life begins with faith. And then secondly, faith results in spiritual growth. If it's alive, it's going to be growth. And then number three, spiritual growth results in practical results. Spiritual growth brings practical results. Now, the Christian life, number one, we said begins with faith. It begins with faith. And we said that our faith... Here we go. Go back to that, Jimmy, would you please, so they could see it. Christian life begins with faith. Faith brings spiritual growth. Spiritual growth brings practical results. Now, we began with the Christian life begins with faith. And we said that this faith is in a person. Very important. Peter describes the person of the Lord Jesus. He describes Him as our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So our faith that brings salvation is not a faith in a church or a dogma or a creed. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in our good works. But it's faith in a person none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith that brings a person to heaven is a faith in the person and work of Christ. For we said that He alone saves. He alone and His sacrifice on the cross is adequate to forgive sins and make a person right before the holy and the awesome God. And, and we said it's not just merely believing that He existed and He did these things. It's receiving Him personally and living for Him as one Savior And one's Lord. Again, this faith is not just faith and faith. That won't do you any good. Your faith has to have the right object. And it has to be Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2 and verses 8 and 9. A very familiar scripture. For by grace have you been saved. And it's through faith. It's faith in Christ. It's faith in what He did on that cross for you. And it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, so no one can boast about it. There's none of us here, no matter how good we think we've been, that have any right to stand before God in our own effort or in our own achievement. When we stand before the throne of God, the only thing we can sing is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But it was my faith in the working of His grace. It was my faith. That responded to what He did. That brings that salvation into my life. So, number one, um, the Christian life begins with faith. That faith is in a person, and again, that that faith that faith involves God's power. That's verse three. It's a beautiful thing when you come to Jesus. When you put your faith in Him, He puts His Spirit within you, and that Spirit is a Spirit of power. That's where we get our terms: born again. New creation for, for the theologians out there. Regeneration. You see, grace is a force as well as a favor. It's a verb as well as a noun. It's both the kindness of God, but it's also the operation and the working of the Spirit of God to make us brand new and to make us into new creatures. When a person comes to Jesus, Jesus imparts His divine life within. Giving that person power to know him and to live this life and to live it victoriously. That's why we like to declare you can, you can. You can live this life, you can endure that trial. You can rise up after that setback. You can shake off those negative habits. You can be the one God's called you to be because greater is He that's within you than He that's in the world. And the same Spirit that raised Christ is now dwelling within you. When you put your faith in Him, He put His divine Spirit within you and He made you a child of God and He gave you power to walk in the victory and live as God would have you to live. Can you say amen? We said, number one, this power is a transforming power. But secondly, it's an enabling power. It's a transforming power that makes us brand new. It gives us a new nature. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. There's new appetites and new affections. Why? The Spirit of God has made me a new creature. But along with having a new nature, now there's a new power and a new force to live it, to walk it, to talk it, to demonstrate it. It helps me to live it. And I can now, even though times can be hard, even though this walk of faith can have its challenges, you and I that know the Lord can face everyone with confidence, knowing greater is He that's within me That And he that's in the world, knowing that he that began that good work within me has promised to complete it. And in him will we put our trust. The Christian life begins with faith and that faith is in a person. And that faith involves, brings into our lives God's power. Isn't it great that he just didn't give us a philosophy to try to follow? He gave us a word without, but then he gave us power within so we can live it and we can walk it. This faith comes with God's promise, verse 4. The promises of God. Friend, know the book. Learn the book. Spend time in the book. The investment of spending time in the Word of God will always be worth it. Learn it. Stand on it completely. Confess it confidently. Expect it. Live it. Enforce it. Not only has God given us all we need for life and godliness, But He also gives us His Word. Peter called them His very great and precious promises. And those promises enable us and they instruct us. They help us to develop in this life and in this godliness. By these very great and precious promises... We can, Peter writes, number one, we can participate in the divine nature. We can go from faith to faith and glory to glory. We can go from being a babe in Christ to being full-blown, mature, walking in the victory, overcoming, growing in God. But also, not only do the promises help me participate in this divine nature, they help me to escape or overcome the old life in the fallen world. And that old nature that would try to drag me down. Now, Peter starts his letter by saying that every Christian, every Christian has been given everything necessary for life and for godliness. Verse 3 is a beautiful verse. He says, now not most things, all things. Now not few things, but everything that you need... To live this life is more than a conqueror. God has given it to you. You got it. Now we learn to appropriate it and partake it and walk in it. But Peter says clearly, not most things, verse 3, but all things. But then verse 4, and the all things are found in the very great and precious promises of God's Word. You see, the blessings of God are His gifts to us. But it's up to us then to appropriate them And to apply them. And to develop. And to walk in them. And this is what leads us to our next point. Remember, this walk with God demands a partnership and a cooperation. Working with God to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So Roman numeral 2 now, this faith in Christ, this faith that brings new birth, this faith that's founded on those great and precious promises, this faith results... If it's alive, it results in spiritual growth. In spiritual growth. Faith without works is, Amen. Got to get it resurrected, man. Got to get it going. Got to get it walking. Got to get it talking. But real faith. True faith. True faith that is born from above results in growth. That's verses 5-7. through He begins, make every effort in verse 5. He says, make every effort. Be diligent. King James, be diligent. That means there's something on our side that we have to do to add to our faith and to grow and mature. To make it sure I have my part to do. God has done His part. And He wants me to work with Him in this development. To work with the Spirit to grow and to mature. And here Peter is stressing that the individual believer, you and I have a role to play. We have a participation, a cooperation with God in order to mature And grow and advance in our faith. To make it sure. Effort is required. If I'm going to make it sure. Now. The new birth we said last time. Is not the end. It's just the beginning. And now we are going to do our part. And we're going to take advantage. Of the resources. That God has provided. In order to grow. In the grace. And knowledge of our Lord. And our Savior Jesus Christ. Making my calling. In election, sure. It's important that we take advantage of our resources. Many people ignore them or they're blind to them or they care. But think about the things God has brought into your life to help you grow in the knowledge of God. Think about the resources that God has given you so that you can know this great and living God, that you can walk in the victory that Christ desires for all of His people. Peter gives us seven characteristics now. God, in His great wisdom, has chosen these seven specifics. Now, there's others throughout the Scripture. We can think of the Beatitudes. We can think of the fruit of the Spirit. But here, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Peter gives seven goals, seven targets, seven characteristics that God wants each of us to make an effort to grow in, to mature in, and to develop in our lives. These are things He wants all of us to improve in our life. From the foundation of a sincere faith in Christ, we now make every effort to add to our faith these wonderful characteristics. Now, we're going to walk through them real quick, then we'll go back and preach as much as time allows. So let's just walk through them quickly, all 7, and then we'll go and we'll preach and we'll stop when our time is done. The first one is goodness, is goodness. God desires that each of us walk in goodness. Goodness we said last time and we'll cover it deeper is is virtue or moral excellence. Moral courage and consistency. That's the key part there. Regardless of what the cultural norm is, the setting Or the circumstances, the Christian walks consistently, morally, uprightly before God. Secondly, Paul, um, Peter says, um, let's grow in our knowledge, grow in our knowledge. And this word for knowledge means our ability to apply what we know about God to the practical part of life. Some of you might have taken a class, uh, applied science. Not theoretical science, not but applied science. And this word says the child of God needs to go beyond just knowing about God and actually expressing that knowledge and living out that knowledge in their everyday. Number three is self-control or self-discipline. This is something that the Spirit of God within us helps us to walk a disciplined life overcoming the negative things, overcoming the deeds of the flesh, overcoming the temptations of the world, but living under the control of the Spirit. How Paul says, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not give in to those deeds of the flesh. Let's go on to that next one, number four. Perseverance. Perseverance. One of the chief things of a believer, because the Bible says, he that endureth to the end is saved. One of the chief ways we know whose election is sure, they're the ones that finish with Jesus. This is the ability to endure when circumstances are difficult. Then number five, godliness, godliness. Godliness here is is an interesting word. It, It speaks to us about a practical awareness of God in every aspect of life. It's having a God consciousness. Peter says one of the things we need to develop as believers is have this God consciousness that causes us to be godly in, in, in the sense where moment by moment this person has an awareness that surely God is here. And it's that God consciousness that affects His reverence for God but also His respect for His fellow man. It's that understanding and having awareness that God is here That enables this man to treat others as if they were in the presence of God. Godliness. Godliness. Then there's brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. That warmth and affection that should characterize the fellowship of believers. Peter is saying if you're truly born from above, if you're going to make your calling in election sure, you're going to love the brethren. They might be different from you. They might come from different backgrounds. They might look different and sound different. But if they're washed in the blood of Jesus, then you are family. You are brothers and you are sisters. And God wants you to love one another as brothers and brothers and sisters. Amen. And then lastly, love. The love. The God love. The God love here. That has... Children of God, we should walk in this agape love, the sacrificial selfless love of the will. It's a love that chooses. It's not a love of emotion. It's not a love of feeling. It goes deeper than that. It's a love that expresses itself out of a willingness to please God and obey God and to act like God. And this love flows from God who himself is love. And he has said he has shed his love abroad in our hearts. Can you say amen? Now let's begin, and we're going to preach as much as we can to cover what we can. Let's go back to goodness. Now remember, these are things... How many of y'all... Uh, you know when we went to school, there was, there was a few of you... you, you um, uh, what's a nice word I could say about a negative nice word? Amen. Um, you know, some of you some of you, straight A students. The rest of us weren't crazy about that. You goody-good good two-shoes. Anyway, uh, now now some people get an A in everything, alright? Now for the rest of us, gym class, Amen history <laughs> amen and all right and and if we got to choose what classes to take if we got to choose our curriculum gym first period gym second period gym third period i get to get lunch in there i need a rest yep you know what i mean we we that would that would be our thing amen and you know we do the same thing in our christianity i i you know i'm going to serve christ but i'm only going to develop these areas because these kind of come more natural to me god says hang on i'm god and i choose the curriculum So I'm going to choose the characteristics that I want you to strive to grow in. Now remember, you're not on your own. My spirit's within you. My word's without. You've got promises. You've got my power. So if you'll work with me, you can develop in these areas. You can mature in these areas. But you cannot ignore these areas and please me. Because God has clearly written, these are things I want you to walk in. These are things that I want your life to develop for my glory. These are things that will really give the evidence that you have a sure salvation. Hallelujah. I know we like that. We, we not only do we like to make the curriculum, we like to grade our own tests. They don't work that way. Alright, alright, moving on here. Goodness. Let's look at goodness together. Goodness. Um, the King James will have virtue. New American Standard Moral excellence. Moral excellence. Now, in the Greek culture, this word was excellence of achievement. And you could apply it to any specific field. And that meant you had mastered that. You could be a master electrician. A master. It means you achieved excellence. In this case, it's the field of morality. It's moral excellence. Christians should strive to be a morally excellent people. And again... Before we get there, our morality is based upon the Word of God. It's not based upon what the culture says is okay at this time. It's not based upon the expediency of the hour. Because, you know, the, 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 the demon-possessed Nazis had, 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 had their own brand of morality. How many know that? And you can get a, a group that, that, that believes it's okay to abort and okay to do all these crazy... And they'll, say, they'll, they'll think they've got some kind of moral code. But we're talking about the morality that comes to the written word of God. Clearly unchanging. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, moral excellence or moral goodness. The characteristic that does the right thing regardless of the obstacles and the oppositions. This word carries with it the idea of moral courage. Because Walking in this will be challenged in a fallen world. So it has to have an aspect of courage if you're going to live this goodness. Moral courage, moral strength that produces a moral consistency. And that's what we're striving for. Like, you know, we're not reeds swaying in the wind. We are going to be consistent in our obedience to the book, our consistency as we walk a godly and a good life before God and before man. We won't be swayed through compromise. We won't be pressured or pulled by the world. Again, regardless of which way the cultural, moral wind is blowing, regardless of how the peer pressure is pulling us or pushing against us, for the Christian, the Word and the The Spirit of God guide and govern our choices, our values, and our behaviors. Can you say amen? We're not moved by the Spirit of this age. We're not moved by the majority of a fallen society. Certainly not moved by the pressure and the expediency of the hour. Men like to say, when in Rome, i got news for you. If you're a Christian, when in Rome, do what Jesus would do. In the good times, do what Jesus would do. In the bad times, do what Jesus would do. When you're around people you know, do what Jesus would do. When you're all by yourself and there's no one that can see you, do what Jesus would do. This is the consistency of living for Jesus Christ. Somebody give God an amen. Goodness, goodness. Peter says, if you want to make your salvation sure, because if you're living inconsistent, it might be a sign you don't got the real thing. Woo-hoo. Add this, practice this, develop this. We should be a very virtuous, morally upright, consistent people, regardless of cultural norms, setting, or circumstance. Number two, knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Active obedience, we understand, must have knowledge of God and His will. That's why we love the book. That's why we study the book. That's why we we feed on the book. We learn the book so we can know God. So we can walk in a manner that pleases Him. But this word for knowledge um, is more than an academic head knowledge. This word is a practical knowledge. Again, it's applied Christianity. We're moving beyond philosophical Christianity. Some can philosophize, you know. Beyond theoretical Christianity. It would be beyond the principles of Christianity to the living out. Of a real Christianity. Applied Christianity is living out this life. And applying my Christianity to my everyday life. It's seeing the situations and knowing how to handle them. In a way that pleases God and honors God. The knowledge of God in His Word. And being able to apply it to my life. The practical living out of my Christian knowledge. The ability to take a service like this the ability to take my Sunday school class or my daily devotions, the ability to take all the things I've learned from Grandma and Mama, all those things, and to live them out in my business, in my bank, in my home life, in my conversation, in my decision making, in my recreation. I can apply them as I respond to life's trials and life's temptations and lies opportunities in lies people in situations. You see, for the Christian, knowing produces doing. Knowing leads to growing. Knowing produces doing. You see, that wasn't always the case in the ancient world. Where they could go to the temple and worship their God and do their religious duty and then just leave it there to the next time they went and just go about living their life and there was nothing that connected the two. But we know Christianity is not merely going through a ritual of religion. It's having a living, breathing relationship with the true and living God and that doesn't stop when I leave. That doesn't stop when I'm not around Christian people. It's something that's 24-7. And so it's of extreme importance. Peter says you develop the ability to take your learning and turn it into doing. And if you're a Christian businessman, everyone in the world ought to know you're a Christian businessman. It's hard not to show it if you really are. This is such a cutthroat, lying, deceiving world out there. If you're on the job and they got foul mouths, it shouldn't take long before they know you're not one of them. This world is so dark. It doesn't take a lot for real light to shine. Just live it, just live it. Jesus talked about applied Christianity. He said, blessed is the man that hears my words and does them. He's like a man that builds a life upon a rock. When the storms of judgment, the storms of scrutiny, the storms of trials and testings come, he stands. But he built this house upon a foundation that is unshakable and a power that is unmovable. The Word of God, living it out. And that person will never hear the frightening words. Depart from me. I never knew you. What's the the doing and the doing and the doing? Let's move on. Self-control. Self-control. Hallelujah. The next one, Peter says now, if you want to make your salvation sure, if you want to know that you know things are right between you and God, then this attribute, this characteristic of self-control is going to be seen clearly in your life. You see, in the ancient world, it was often um, it was over-encouraged. Self-expression and self-indulgence. The Roman Empire and the pagan world was known for its excesses and its abuses and its addictions. It's perversion and it's extremes. The ancient world, if you know anything about that history. So many terrible vices and accepted practices. But in Christ, in Christ, men came to find a freedom from sin's power and sin's penalty and sin's slavery and sin's control. And though they still lived in a culture around them that was polluted and corrupt, these were people of a new creation, of a new kingdom, of a new nation. They were the ones called out from the darkness and they've been brought into the marvelous light of God's life-changing salvation. They were the ones that they walked in newness of life. Romans 6 and 4, that same Spirit that raised Him now empowered His followers to live Pure in a very unpure world, to live holy and under the control of God Himself, when all around them was vice and violence and every kind of temptation. They were the people that enjoyed and experienced the freedom that Jesus talked about when He says, "You're going to know the Son, and who knows the Son? The Son will set free." This is the truth of the gospel that He who has the Son has life, and the truth of that revelation. The truth of that salvation brings a freedom whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Free from the things that ensnared us. Free from the things that controlled us. Free from the affliction of the heart. Free from the torment of the mind. Free from those things that try to hold us and embarrass us and enslave us. Oh, i got good news for someone. You can be free from that perversion. You can be free from that sorrow. You can be free from that thing that to torment you in the middle of the night, there's freedom in Christ, there's deliverance in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. and regardless of what you've come from or what you've gone through, now that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, you can walk above it, you can overcome it. you can be more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. Self-control. Oh it's a gift. It's a treasure. It's a wonderful privilege that comes from knowing we're not of this world. <sighs> Got something that the world can't give. The world can't take it away. You see, the Christian was called and separated and empowered by God's Spirit to live pure and upright in the midst of it. Not when I get to heaven in the here and now. You can live holy in that factory. You can live holy if you're the only one saved in your family. You can live it. You might have a spouse that's a rascal and a half. You can still walk it by the grace of God. (sighs) Power that comes into the life of the born again believers. A power to overcome the desires of the fallen nature. Living by the power and the promptings of the new nature and the Spirit of God. That early church, they stood out. They were in the world, but they were clearly not of the world. Self-control. Really, we should define it more as under the Spirit's control. In the philosophy of that day, it was a self-control. The stoic, the Greek philosophers controlling the emotions and controlling. But, but the Christians often in those days, they would take a word and they would sanctify it. And we're kind of sanctifying this word. Not so much self-mastery, but Spirit-mastery. This is not by might nor power, but it's by God's Spirit that we live out this life and we overcome those bad habits and those entanglements and those afflictions that the old life put on us. In our thinking, we can have self-control. In our speaking, we can have self-control. In our appetites, in our affections, in our emotions and in our actions, In our habits, we don't have to live with uncontrolled areas because the Spirit of God will gladly take control if we work with Him and we let Him. We can have victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Under the Spirit's control, the ability to control ourselves, a self-discipline, a spirit discipline that we exercise in every aspect of life. Again, the Greeks would say, controlling the passions instead of being controlled by the passions. But for us that are Christians, we would call it being harnessed by the Spirit. Led of the Spirit. Living under the influence of the Spirit. Controlled and empowered. Walking in the Spirit of God. Let's look at some verses here. You know, in Peter's day, this word was often used of athletes who were self-restrained and self-disciplined in order to achieve what they needed to achieve. Paul used this word. Again, he used it in the same way. He spoke of the personal responsibility that we have to walk in self-control so we don't lose our crown. So that we achieve what God called us to achieve. Look, if you would, at 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. 24th through 27th, we're talking about self-control. And that's a very important attribute that God wants us to walk in. Uh, Without self-control, we make ourselves very vulnerable to the devil. Without self-control, we open ourselves up to things. And we allow the enemy a foothold. And when he gets a foothold, he don't just go away. We say go away. Once you let him in, oftentimes he wreaks havoc when he's left in. But self-control is a safeguard and it helps us to grow in God. It keeps us safe from the enemy's attacks. It helps us to live this life that that is shining for Jesus and very radically different than the world in in, in which we live. And number one, recognize that self-control. We said this is a cooperation. This is a partnership. You and I have a personal responsibility when it comes to our spiritual growth. Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? He says, listen, live this life in such a way that you're going to get the prize. Don't just try to get by in your Christian experience, but but live it wholeheartedly. Live it so there is no doubt you are born again to the bone. Can you say amen? Next verse. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Think about it. boy, what the world to do to make a buck. What the world would do, just to be uh, an athlete or an entertainer? This is what he's saying? Everyone who competes into these games goes into strict training. Man, they sacrifice, they discipline, they go the extra mile. They do it to get a crown or to get a praise, or to get a money. That will not last. But we do it. We do our thing. We live wholeheartedly for Jesus. We walk with giving a diligent effort for that which is God. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Hallelujah. Therefore, I don't run like a man just aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, 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 no. There's a focus. There's an intelligence. There's a, 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 an effort to what I'm doing. I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Hey, after I've taught Sunday school to all these kids, I don't want to become disqualified. Isn't that right? After I've witnessed on the job and tried to tell them all they're wrong and this the way, I don't want to be disqualified. But a lack of self-discipline is one way to lose what you've gained in Christ. Self-discipline. What's the next verse? Just go through this. If I go back up there, it will take forever. What's that next verse? Just put it up there, Jim. I mean, all right, all right, whatever you got on my list, on my scripture list, let's go ahead and put it up there. Now, understand self-control, self-control. One of the fruit of the Spirit, the last fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, self-control. That tells us one of the desires, the desire of the Spirit within you, is to help you walk in self or spirit control. It's the desire of God. It's the desire of God. Understand that here Paul is telling us that self-control is a gift from God. You don't have to look for it. You got it. Just have to learn how to walk, work it, and walk in it. I'm gonna say it again. It's a gift from God. Look at what he says here. God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity. If you're bound by fear, it didn't come from God, and Jesus will set you free. If you're timid, always wavering when it comes to obeying God, that is not coming from the Spirit of God. That can be that can be overcome, that can be defeated, and you can be as bold as a lion. Glory, bless his name. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. What did God give you? Somebody say me. Amen. Now this is yours. You got to see, you got to know what you've got so you can work what you have. Uh, but a spirit of power. You got power to live this life. Devil say you're weak. You're blah, blah. devil is a liar. If Jesus is in me, how can I be weak? God has given us, has given us. This is not. Over in the glory land. This is right here and now. In the ugly land. You know, in the fallen land. God's given us the Spirit. You've got power. Spirit of love. You can walk in love towards your brother. And not, they're not always easy to love. But we're not walking in our own love. We're walking in the love that God put in us for others. But look at this. And self-discipline or a sound mind. So you mean God has given me self-discipline? Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So, you have it. So, listen, man, you can overcome that temper. You can overcome that gruff voice. You don't got to talk like that. Ladies, you don't got to gossip. You don't got to be jealous of someone else that's five years younger or, you know, I'm going to go down that road too much. I get in trouble with that one. Whew. Man, man has to know his limitations on that line. All right. Um, Self discipline. I'm trying to tell you, you you might have some things in your old, your your B.C. days out in that bag and still try to crop up. The devil is alive. There's no condemnation in Christ. And you don't got to go back that way. You can have victory over them. You don't got to bow to them at all. Self-discipline is a gift God has given to his people to walk above the promptings and the pull of this old nature and to overcome the temptations of this fallen world. Go to the next one, Jimmy, please. We're still in self-control, self-control. It's a personal responsibility. Paul told us that, that I have to do my part. It's a fruit of the Spirit, so we know it's the will and desire of God. It's a gift of God, so I'm not looking for it. I'm not asking for it. I'm developing it and I'm working it. got to understand that. Some people are praying at an altar. They're praying for something God's already given them. The issue is not God give it. It's God help me to walk in it. Sometimes if we pray about things, it takes responsibility off us. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Self-control is a very basic, very foundational part of the gospel. Very basic, foundational part of the gospel. In this scripture, the Apostle Paul is in prison. He's going to stand before the Roman governor. And the Roman governor is going to call Paul to come in. And tell me about this Christianity. And the Holy Spirit is going to summarize what Paul wrote. I find it interesting. That here Paul, you know, this guy's got your your life in his hands. and Your head's going to come off. And and you're in chains here. And he wants to know Christianity. In this day of seeker friendly, water everything down. It's amazing what Paul, standing before someone that can cut off his head. He's just going to share the basis of Christianity. Now, as we look at these three things that the Holy Spirit chooses to record for us, maybe in the modern church, you might hear a lot about one of them, but man, it seems like the other two sometimes have lost their way in our sermons and in our teachings. All right, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. They sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Paul, tell us, Apostle Paul, tell us about faith in Christ Jesus. And look at what Paul now we would if I was to give us a quiz. Three things. What would Paul talk about? Well love. You've got to have love. Right? Mercy, because we all need mercy. I'm just wondering. Look what Paul wrote. Go ahead. As Paul discoursed on righteousness. Number one, Felix, you need righteousness. Because you're guilty before God and there's only one way to be made right before God and that's through the blood of God's son. You need righteousness because you're not righteous. It doesn't matter how much gifts you give into the community, it doesn't matter if they put a, a name your name on a big highway because you gave so much to the public library. Your efforts alone can't make you righteous. You're not righteous. All men have fallen and come short of the glory of God. I preach about righteousness you need, but good news, you can become right with God. If you'll come to Jesus, He'll receive you. If you put your faith in Christ, He'll forgive you and He'll redeem you and He'll make you righteous in the sight of God. Righteousness, but then if you are righteous, self-control, you live different from those around you. You walk different. You talk different. You act different. You love different things. You hate different things. There is a self-control. You hear very little of this. Come on, say amen. You know that. I mean, we're too, you know, oh, I don't want to go down that road. We'll be here forever. But again, here he is, self-control. Paul is asked, give me the gist of Christianity. He says, self-control. Well, once you, once you righteous, Then you live a life that's under the control of God. Then you live a life that strives to please God. Then you live a life that's no longer bound by the seductions and the temptations of a fallen world and society. But your life is lived in a way that gives glory and honor to God. It's a life that is expressing itself in a great appreciation for the blood of Jesus that has cleansed us. And the love of God that has rescued us. And now that I am righteous. You see, self-control is not going to make me righteous. Because I couldn't control myself before I was born again. But now that He made me righteous, my response is to live it out by living a life self-controlled or really Spirit-controlled. As I glorify Christ and honor Christ. And I'm an ambassador of Christ. And He talks about Righteousness. King, that you need self-control that will be the evidence if you get this. You don't just go through this ritual here, get something put on your forehead and walk out and you live the same way as you did before. Oh no! When you're made righteous, when you leave this service, you walk in self-control. You walk in God's control. You don't go certain places anymore. You don't do certain things anymore. And you begin to pursue things you never thought you would pursue. Self-control. And lastly, lastly, and the judgment that come. Oh! Ultimately, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul Paul didn't water it down, did he? No, 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 no. Paul's in chains. He's in prison. But let me just give it to you straight. And all of a sudden, now the prisoner became the master, where it says Felix, the Roman governor, was afraid. And he said, "Ah, That's enough for now. You can leave. When I find it convenient. So it's unfortunate some people never find it convenient to finally say yes to Jesus. To finally give their lives to Christ. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Go to the next one, Jimmy. Hallelujah. Now again, why is self-control so important? Number one, self-control is going to keep us shielded and guarded and protected. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That, That thing died. I am so sorry. I'm looking at that thing. That thing's honest. I usually joke about this. This thing says quarter of. Amen. Hallelujah. I say, Lord, you're being good to me. This time just seems to stand still. It did stand still. Look at that. Oh, my Lord. Have mercy. We're not going to get to perseverance. We're going to get to nothing. Amen. Stick with me. Let me finish this up real quick. And we'll, oh, look at that. Hallelujah. Honest. I mean, I'm not kidding. Yeah, look at that thing. Don't even not even quarter of yet. I'm just warming up. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Woo! Hallelujah. Man. Ah. Oh. Hey, Amen. My Lord, I know I am, and I am sweating. I'm telling you the truth. I mean, we had enough time. I keep preaching. Somebody want to go get me a shortcake up at the fair and come back. But I'll just... i I want to finish. i got a few more verses. Let's just finish self-control, and then we'll call it. God is so good. Again... You know, I'm thinking this one, up. I'm making this illustration, so stick with me. You know, sometimes the first, you know, uh, appearances or how you hear something the first time can affect, can affect right? Oh, yeah. All right. Now, now, uh, I walk in the door. Christina says, hey, so, so-and-so went to Fred's and brought us something. <laughs> and so I thought she to you. I said, I've got to look at it, I've got to smell it. All of a sudden, I'm happy. All right? I'm excited, and I'm looking forward to it. Amen? Get out of my way. All right? Next day, I walk in. Honey, I found this wonderful new diet meal uh, on the... um, And already... I got to stop because it's going to take me about five seconds to put on a fake smile. I've got everything in me. Everything in me. It's like, you got... Oh, Lord. Oh, I should have stayed. I should have. I should have went to lunch or something. You know, I'm going out. I say that because when my flesh hears certain things, when I hear mercy and love, but when I hear self control, when I hear self control, God's going to take something from me. God's going to demand something. Come on. That's true. Now, we're talking God is the author here. All right? We're not making this up. Some old spitfire preacher is not making some legalistic. We're talking the Word of God. Mm-hmm. But when I hear, when you hear self-control, first thing is, there's some things I'm not going to be able to do. <laughs> and there's some things He's going to make me to do that I'm not... Cr- <laughs> say amen, say ouch, laugh, whatever. Isn't is, is that true? Amen. So I'm going to finish this up. I'm call. Now... Self control, very, very important. Very, very important. God wants it. It's good for us. Um, it also helps me. It helps you to overcome the enemy. Look, notice what Peter, Peter writes this in the first, the first book Be self controlled and alert. Why, Peter? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He says self control helps you to get victory over the enemy. Because when I don't walk in self control, I give him access, and arrows get through, and offenses get through. And temptations get through. And you know, and not every not every temptation is some this or that. Could be the temptation, hold a grudge against my brother. Or to let that thing he said or didn't say fester and get me mad at him. So when I'm walking, though, in self-control, self-control, you know, I, I'll keep that shield up. Amen? I'm not putting myself in a place that's easily hit. I'm not putting myself. Be self-controlled and alert. But your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour and self-control will keep us from being devoured and being hit by those arrows that are flying. Give me the last proverb, the last proverb, then we'll go to the other proverb. All right, again, notice what the Word of God says here. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. If I lack self-control, it makes me vulnerable to the enemy's attacks and to the carnal man's desires. If I don't walk in self-control, how many times have you said something and if you would have, if you could have taken it back and it was costly? Self-control. When self-control is not there, you know, a city in the ancient days those walls were everything. If you didn't have any walls, any enemy could just come in and run you over. But if you had strong walls, man, you could really stand against And self-control is pictured the mighty walls that protect. The last one, and we'll close down. That other proverb. Here it is, and here's God's 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 um, God's declaration. This is how God looks at things. We live in the the age where you know we applaud Rambo, but, but God applauds a man or a woman that can walk in the Spirit. Better a patient man than a warrior. A man that controls. Here it is. Controls his his temper. His passion than one who takes the city. God says, I applaud the man and woman that walks in self-control. Because they're the ones that represent me. They're the ones that grow strong in me. They're they're, they're the ones that overcome the enemy. But they don't give them place in, in their lives. Hallelujah. Peter tells us to make every effort. To make every effort. To be diligent. To make our calling and our election sure. And as we close, I pray that as we look at these seven qualities, we will say, Lord, help me to grow in these areas. Help me, Lord, to make these areas a a, a goal in my life, to really mature and grow in these. Because you, oh God, you've highlighted them. You're the one that has told me, this is what I want for my children to really mature in. So, Lord, help me to grow and help me to mature. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord that you are faithful. We thank you, Lord, for the great salvation you've given us. And we thank you, Lord, for the scripture that gives us instruction on how to live this life Is more than conquerors. We thank you, Lord, that you're concerned for us and you want us to make it. You don't want us to live with a false assurance or assumption, but you want us to make the proper effort to work and cooperate with you to grow in these various areas, to mature and grow in our Christ-likeness, to go from faith to faith and glory to glory. Now, Lord, we ask You to help us to make our calling and election sure and help us to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. Help us to be men and women that bear fruit unto righteousness again and again. And, Lord, I pray for Your dear ones that are here. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts afresh. That you would help us to recognize what we have in Christ Jesus. You would help us to truly understand and to rejoice and to embrace the great salvation that we have and to take these great and precious promises and to put our names on them. And to embrace them personally and walk in them. Enjoying the fullness and the blessing of being more than conquerors in Christ. Now, Father, as we sing our last song and open these altars, I pray if there's anyone here today and their heart's not right with God, if they're not sure, they're going to come and make things right and know that they're right with God and they're sure in their relationship with God. And, Father, I pray if there's anyone here today, maybe they've gotten a bad report through the week, maybe they have a need in their body, Maybe something's coming up, Lord. It's something. It's a challenging situation. And they would like prayer. They would like someone just to stand with them and to believe together with them. Father, bring them down so that we can believe together for Your touch and for Your intervention. We thank You, Lord, for this salvation. Help us never to take it for granted, but help us to make the effort to grow in it, to rejoice in it, And to advance in it, for that brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this one time through the altars are open. God bless you.